My name is Jez. If we haven't met this morning, we are continuing to work through the Gospel of John. We just take a bit and work through it. The challenge for us, or at least me this week, is we, we set ourselves a whole chapter. And I don't know if you've been reading it through the week. There is so much in here. And as I came to prepare this, I ended up with three sermons. And so um, you can relax. I'm not going to give you three sermons. I'm actually just going to give you one on three verses. And really lean into them and the amazing blessing, goodness, life that is truly life that is ours in Jesus. And it's always a timely thing for us to push into, but I figure particularly now, um, is it just me or is anyone else suffering from disaster fatigue? You know that feeling like you, you just kind of, uh, tears of pandemic and all of that news... Um, a war which is so vivid and horrific and threats to escalate, and you just like, and then floods, and then more floods, and news of untimely deaths, and you add into that all the other challenges in your own life that don't make the news, and you're just like, oh, I'm weary, I'm fatigued. What do we do? Well, I was listening to the radio, the, the news of, of all these horrible things have been brought to us, and then the DJ just said, you know what? enough talk of bad news, call up and tell me what do you do to distract yourself from hardship, from all of it? Tell me what you do to distract. Well, here's the thing for us this morning. The world can only offer distraction. Jesus says in that very moment, come to me and drink. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And rivers of living water will flow from within them. No matter what is going on in your life, says Jesus, there is deep satisfaction, peace to be had in me. Now, I do admit, it's, it's not the greatest image for us this week. Rivers of living water. Well, like, we, we've had enough water. We've seen enough rivers where they're not supposed to be. We're going, oh. but, but even this metaphor that Jesus uses, it's a metaphor, we can still appreciate in the context of floods. Those who are working hard to clean up the mess, they thirst for water. Uh, Towns, communities have been cut off by the floodwaters, desperately need drinking water, living water, good water. Water is the most basic requirement for life and Jesus uses it to point us to our most desperate need and the life that is truly life that is to be found in Him. And so that's what I want to spend our time this morning leaning into. It's been my prayer, and it'll be my prayer in that we drink. That this time now is actually a time that you would drink. So let me pause there and ask of our God for that. Our Father, we do come to you as weary, fatigued, thirsty people for different reasons. But we thank you so much for your son. We meet him here on the page. And we want to confess that we, we know that he's so much greater than what we have realised. And ask please that in this time, right now, you might speak to us of your son. And that we might come to him, taste and see that the Lord is good to me. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to begin with, context. 
Because these are not just fluffy spiritual words plucked out that we can just feel good about. These actually happened in a historical moment as we've been working through the book. We've seen that. And the context is there, verse 37. Have a look at it. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice these words. Back in verse 2, we find that this is the Jewish festival of tabernacles. Or depending on your translation, you might have booths. Tabernacle, booth, tent, all the same thing. This was one of the big religious uh, celebrations, festivals that the Jews remembered each year. It was held just after harvest time. And again, we, we just don't connect to this. We, we go to coals, we complain when there's nothing there. But they had relied on the crops, on the rains, on the crops and gathering so that they would live another year. That's the timing of this festival and all the people would stream to the city of Jerusalem and as they would go there they would spend seven days a week uh, actually living in temporary housing made by palm branches. It's why it's called the festival of tents, of booths, of tabernacles and the reason for that, they didn't do this for all the festivals, they do it for this one, is so that they would particularly remember God's provision for the ancient people of Israel when they fled Egypt. Do you remember they spent 40 years in the wilderness, yet the Lord provided for them, sustained them, even in temporary accommodation? Now, connected to the festival of tabernacles was water, and water became a very symbolic part to it. We really need to catch something of this, in part because back in the wilderness, if you know the history there, God provided for the physical thirst of his people by bringing water out of a rock. Do you remember? So, so water was symbolic of God's physical provision. Also, the Old Testament speaks of it's God who would provide the rain in season for the crops to grow that they've just harvested as they have this festival. And yet, in the Old Testament Jewish Bible mind, the spiritual is never far away from the physical. There's just no concept of completely separating them. And so by the times that we get to the prophets... We see that water, H2O, has become linked with God's Spirit. Let me give you just a few examples of that from the Old Testament. For the sake of time, I'll bring them up on the screen. But we have one from Isaiah, where the Lord God says, so this is a long time before Jesus, I will pour, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring." and my blessing on your descendants. Do you see water pouring God's Spirit? You come to Joel chapter 2, verse 28, a, a famous one, we'll see why later. Afterward, says the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Added to the, the water theme and, and the hope of the Old Testament that the prophecy was a new temple. There'd been a temple in Jerusalem, it had been destroyed and rebuilt and then overtaken. And so Ezekiel particularly looks ahead to a new temple. The temple being the place where humanity would come to meet with God by His Spirit. But we read this about, chase up the whole chapter later, but here's a taste of it. I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple. This is the new temple, not the one in Jerusalem, this one that was to come. Where the, rivers, where the river flows, everything will live. A picture of water connected to the temple, which is where God dwelt by His Spirit to meet with people. 
And wherever this water went, blessing would go. Now, water, by the time of the first century, actually long before, had become such a significant piece to the Feast of Tabernacles that each day there was this um, this function that the priest would um, perform, he'd go to the pool of Siloam, we read about that in chapter 5, and he would have a, a gold vase where he would collect water and he would take it back to the temple, this procession with him, this was a big deal, where he would then pour it out before the altar in the temple of God. And this, this pouring out of water was a symbol of at least two things. It was a reminder of God's provision in days past, the wilderness, the rain, the harvest and so on. But it also looked ahead to that expectation of the Old Testament of the great day of the Lord when he will pour out his spirit, when the new temple would come, when the kingdom of God would come, when blessing would come. Water was a huge part of this festival. Now, with just that brief overview and background in mind, we come back to John chapter 7, verse 37, and we read, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Wow. Wow. Our problem is we just don't appreciate the wow moment because we're not first century Jews. We haven't year after year, generation of generation gone to this festival and understood what the symbol of water meant, tabernacles. What has Jesus just said? He said, I am the festival of tabernacles. I am living waters. It'd be a little bit like me getting up here on the 25th of December and saying, hey, you you know all those presents that you've bought and you've wrapped and you've got under the tree? You know all those lights that you've hung? You know all that food you've bought and the gatherings you're going to have? You know what, this whole Christmas thing, it's all about me, Jez. The whole thing. You've been doing that for me. Not just this community, but the whole... You'd be like... Who do you think you are? Christmas is not about you. It's about something so much bigger than any one person. Jesus rocks up and says, I am living water. I am the festival of tabernacles. Which explains something of the mixed responses we read in chapter 7 and, and beyond to Jesus. Some want to kill him. Some call him crazy. Some people think actually maybe he's onto something. This is massive, what Jesus has just said. But I want to now spend the rest of our time in this part to really lean into what does it mean? Particularly, what does it mean for you, your life? I'm going to move through it in five parts. Number one, the soul thirsts. Look closely at these words where I'm going to look at a few words at a time and unpack it. Jesus says... Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now, Jesus doesn't mean literal, physical thirst. He's not talking about H2O. He's not the water boy carrying the bottles on the field. 
We saw that back in chapter 4, the woman at the world, you remember, where he, he contrasts physical water with something spiritual. Here's what Jesus is saying about you, about me, about every human being. You have a soul. There is more to you than just the physical. The immaterial soul is as much you as your body is you. And it seems crazy we need to kind of really underline this, but in our day, we really do. Jesus, there is more to you than just the physical. You are more than just a bunch of chemicals in a bag of skin. You have a soul. And as your physical body thirsts, your soul thirsts. As your body is designed to be satisfied with H2O, your soul is made to be satisfied in God and God alone. This is such a basic but life-changing reality to come to know. Now, some of you, we love that you are in all different places checking these things. Some of you have only thought of yourself in physical terms. And yet there's, there's an itch, there's a suspicion. Am I more than this? Jesus says, yes. You have a soul. You were made for God. And to seek satisfaction in any and every place other than God will only frustrate you, will only make you thirstier. Do you remember, I'm showing my age here, do you remember the, the fizzy drink, the Solo ad? Back in the 80s, 90s, was it? Do you remember that man with a wonderful moustache and he gets in his kayak and he goes down that you know, ravine through snakes, through spiders. If, if you're 30 or under, you'll have to YouTube it. It's worth looking. And he flies off the cliff and smacks down onto the, the waterhole. You remember that? Doesn't break his back, gets out. He's thirsty, he's worked up a thirst, and he grabs the can, he slams it down. You remember the saying? Light on the fizz so you can slam it down fast. So that you can slam down this rich sugar soft drink (laughs) and have your thirst quenched. We, of course, know that sugary drinks are only going to make us thirstier. Our souls thirst. We know it. And so we keep looking for quenching. But as we keep looking for it in any, in, uh, any place that it's not to be found, we only find ourselves getting thirstier. You have a soul. It needs attention. It needs quenching. There's number one. Number two, Jesus says only he can satisfy the thirsty soul. Look at that, verse 37. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. I want you to notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, come to my teaching. He doesn't say, come to the traditions of the church. He doesn't say, come to philosophical ideas about me and spirituality and the other. He doesn't say, come to historical evidences that show that I'm true. He says what? Come to me and drink. Jesus isn't just the water dispenser. I am the water for your soul. We are a church, if you've been around for some time, you'll know this, of course. But we're a church who takes very seriously careful thinking. 
We don't just want to be a group of people who run after fluffy, positive ideas, spiritual fluff that might make us feel better. No, so we want to seek out the truth, which means we've got to think carefully. We've got to wrestle with it. We raise up our ministry apprentices to go to Bible college to study Greek. And if they go to Greece, they can't even use the language. It's a dead language. But it's what the New Testament was written in so that they can work carefully with the text. We run events so that people can come and check out the historical evidences for the Bible, for the resurrection. We run nights called Digging Deeper where we push into theological and sociological issues of our moment. We do much more, of course, but we do this and we must continue to do this only for the goal of bringing people to Jesus. Not to thinking about Jesus, teaching about Jesus, lifestyles about... We do it all to bring people to Jesus. And I just want to pause here and ask you, particularly if you've been following the Lord for a while, to take stock, to take care. What is at the very centre of your Christian life? Is it possible that something, someone, something other than Jesus has become the centre. It's possible to, in time, slip into, it's obeying Jesus, which is at the centre of the Christian life. Well, he will go on to say, if you love me, you will obey me. But it's Jesus, it's him, it's relationship with him that's at the centre. Is it studying Jesus? Is it serving Jesus? That's at the core of my Christian, it's serving Jesus. Is it sharing the news of Jesus? Now, I don't at all mean to introduce an artificial wedge between Jesus and all these things. They're there. But over time, a subtle shift can happen where we do put the cart before the horse. These things are absolutely bound up in the Christian life, but they, they flow from life with Jesus, coming to Jesus. Take care, particularly over time, that Jesus, the great I am, the man who we meet on these pages, take great care that he remains at the very centre and not the things of Jesus. It's anyone who comes to him. Now we're going to come to how that works in a moment, but number three, notice who the invitation is to. Anyone. Look at that. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Jesus is both the most inclusive and exclusive figure. Now, most exclusive because he's saying, I'm the only one. You won't find it anywhere. It's got to be me. I'm the only way to go. But he's also the most inclusive because anyone, no matter who you are, no matter your background, can come. Just look at who made up that anyone in the original historical context when he first spoke these words. If you've read the chapter, well, verse 5, it's his brothers. His brothers didn't even believe in him. Yet Jesus puts the invitation out to them. Among the group is the Jewish leaders who are trying to kill him, verse 19. The crowds who call him cuckoo. You know, you're a, you're a fruit loop. He says, Come to me and drink. Uh, The guards that have been sent to arrest him. Come to me and drink. It's this hostile mob that Jesus invites to come to him for deep spiritual blessing. Is that your 
instinct to treat your enemies that way? It's not mine. But friends, this is who your God is. This is how your God is towards those who are hostile. He says, I have revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call my name, I said, here I am. Anyone come. No matter your religious upbringing, no matter your family heritage, no matter your ethnicity, no matter how much you do or don't know about Jesus, no matter how respectable or messy your life is, anyone, what's the only qualification? That you are thirsty. That your soul thirsts. And he said, if that's you, come. But do know, you must come, not stay. If Jesus was standing there and he says, Jez, come to me, there's a movement involved for me to move from where I am to where Jesus is. There's a movement and it's exactly the same with what he's saying here. You do not have in yourself the means to satisfy your soul. In fact, if you stay where you are in yourself, you remain under the just judgment of God for having thrown off the God of life and you will meet him and the books will be open and there will be no denying a just judgment of away from me, you evil doer. That's where I am on my own. But Jesus, in who he is and what he's done on the cross to win forgiveness, says, just come to me. And I can. I can come back to the God of life. But I must move. It involves a movement of my thought, of my will, of my affections. Anyone can come. But you must come. I was talking to someone after 8.30 who is among us checking out these things. And he said, oh, just... Jesus is so confronting. Each time you guys open up the words of Jesus, it's so confronting. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Jesus just said, I'm not all right where I am. And I'm a man. I've been raised to be all right, to be self-sufficient, to be independent, to be strong. And he's he's telling me, I don't have it. And I go, yes. Yes. Pride will stop you from coming and taking up this invitation. Humility will bring you to the source of life. Number four, how do you do it? (laughs) How do you drink? I don't have to tell you how to do that with H2O, but how do you do this with Jesus? Well, have a look at verse 37 and 38, one after the other. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, if you didn't pick it up already, come back to chapter 6, verse 35. We looked at this last week, but he's using the metaphor of bread there. But notice the same thing, the how you do it. Jesus declared, chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What is parallel to coming to Jesus in both those passages? Believing. Now, another word, the same word for belief in the New Testament, go study the Greek if you want, is faith. 
which is getting at the word trust. Anyone who trusts in me drinks from the well of life. Now this, this has massive implications for how we understand faith. Our faith, which by the way is a gift, God gives it to us, but here's the thing about faith. There are circles where faith is spoken of as, yes, absolutely necessary for the Christian life. Of course, you, you, you can't come into a relationship with God without faith. It starts with faith, but it, it's a starting point. It's a springboard into bigger and higher experiences of the Christian life. Dreams, visions, tongues, miracles. Faith, yes, you need it, but, but there's much more to it. And actually, if all you've got is faith, then that's a bit simple, that's a bit boring you might be missing out. But have a look here at what it is to drink from the wellspring of life, to satisfy your soul like nothing else can. It is to trust Jesus, to believe Jesus on Jesus. Now here's where our friends who speak about faith as boring other things are more exciting are helpful for us. Because it is possible to have such an impoverished view of faith that we need help, Jesus will do it for us. If you think that faith is merely believing certain facts about Jesus, about yourself, I believe the fact that I'm a sinner, I believe the fact that Jesus died to heaven, I believe the fact that I need him to get to heaven, if that's the sum total of your idea of faith, that is an impoverished view of faith. You've not caught the fullness of faith that Jesus is speaking of because faith is so much more than a ticket to heaven. It's the means by which we drink of the source of spiritual life. Faith is not just step one before moving on to higher and better experiences. It is the thing that connects you to Jesus, the source of satisfaction for your soul. Do you see the implications for how you understand faith? Faith is an experience. Faith is an experience. It is the thing that brings me to Jesus to drink. It's looking away from yourself to Jesus, taking him at his word for who he is, what he has to offer. That is the act of coming to the wellspring of life. Now, if the Lord gives you other graces... Dreams, visions, tongues, praise God. But don't, don't look enviously to others who seem to have a higher experience of, of the Christian life, of the Spirit. You're missing out. All I've got is faith. Colossians chapter 2. In Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. In Christ, looking to Christ, trusting Him, being joined to Him, you can't get any closer to God. Because Jesus is the fullness of God. Now it does beg a question about our experience of faith, which I'm going to come back to and finish on. But just for now, catch this. Faith is the soul-satisfying experience of coming to Jesus. Now, that'll look like all sorts of things. We'll come back to it in a moment. But did you notice the psalmist who is suffering greatly in the reading that we had? Why my soul so downcast? He, he, he calls himself to trust God. 
Um, last night I didn't sleep very well. I, I had some big, hard, weighty things in my heart. You know, those moments you just, you just cannot sleep. And I was, I was a wreck. I was angsty. And then I remembered, hang on, Jez, drink. Drink. Um, think on Jesus. Bring Jesus' word to bear right now, his promises to bear right now. Just think on the great I am. Think, and I drunk. Faith is an experience. It's not just a ticket to heaven. Uh, Our circles can tend toward thinking that way. It's just a bus pass. It'll be great and it'll be so good. But until then, now come back to this in a moment. But faith is an experience of drinking of Jesus. Number five, last point. What are the rivers of living water? See, when you come to drink, that's what Jesus says. You're going to have rivers of living water. How does he put it? Will flow from within them. As the scripture said, just very quickly on that, as the scripture said, I take it, it's the few scriptures that I pointed you to before, plus a whole bunch more that talk about the pouring out of the spirit and what that will mean promised centuries before but what does it mean that rivers of living water will flow from within you as you come to him well when you you have those questions it's always a good idea to keep reading verse 39 by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive this is john the author explaining it for us up until that time the spirit had not yet been given since jesus had not yet been glorified which is why i'm talking about his death So what does it mean that you and I, if we trust in Jesus, will have rivers of living water within us? Well, it means the Spirit, okay, but what does that mean? Well, remember those Old Testament passages that we just quickly sampled? They connect water with God's physical provision of the people, yes, but more particularly the provision and pouring out of His Spirit. God said, I'll pour out my spirit, I'll pour out my spirit. Ezekiel 47, there's a hope of a new temple, a new meeting place with God from which rivers will flow. Now, in the Old Testament, again, this is something we don't appreciate, they did not experience the spirit like we do this side of the cross. This is amazing. Yes, they had some work of the Spirit in their life, but the Old Testament people of God, though belonging to God, children of God, forgiven by God, they did not have the gift of the Spirit in the same way that we do. Some did, for moments, prophets, kings and so on. But there was this anticipation of what the Bible says, the great day of the Lord, when he would pour out his Spirit, when his kingdom would come in all its fullness. The great day of the Lord. And so there's this expectation that as the years roll on, where's this day? Every year at the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, pouring out water, looking forward to the great day when God wraps up history, his kingdom comes, and Jesus comes. He says, Amen. He dies for our sin. He's raised to life. He ascends to the right hand of the Father and pours out his Spirit. Acts chapter 2. And fulfills what Joel chapter 2 anticipated. So here's what we find. The great day of the Lord has come. The Spirit has been poured out. But it hasn't come in all its fullness yet. And so this great day of the Lord has been stretched out. And so we today are living in the great day of the Lord. Where he pours out his Spirit. 
Which is why the New Testament will speak of the Christians as the temple of God. You, believer of Jesus, a temple of God, and us corporately. Individually, chase it up later, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. You, Christian, are a temple of God. Together, corporately, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, we are the temple of God. How does that work? Well, if Jesus is the great living water, the great source of our soul satisfaction, how can we... He's not here. How do we get that? And so what we find is he comes to us by pouring out his spirit. The spirit is the spirit of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. That's how we get the wellspring of life. He comes to us to dwell in us. Which now means in Christ, by his spirit, we are a temple. There's a meeting between God, man, woman. Wow. The new temple is here in Christ. Rivers flow, blessing flows. Do you appreciate just what you have in the gift of the Spirit? Now, let me move to finishing by anticipating a question, maybe even a protest. All right. I have come to Jesus by faith. Look to him. But if I'm completely honest, my soul isn't very satisfied. I feel dry. I feel parched. I feel like he's not really living up to what I read here and I don't, I don't really want to say that because I, 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 I love Jesus, respect Jesus, I know Jesus is grace but two things that I'd say. Number one, we drink from mixed sources. We drink from mixed sources. So we do come to Jesus, we see him, we know our need for him and we ask him to satisfy us but then we do this Jesus plus thing. Maybe you think, okay, I need Jesus, he's my ticket to heaven, forgiveness and all of that. All that blessing's coming, so now what do I do? Well, I guess I just look to every other spring that the world looks to and expect it to satisfy myself. Oh, plus Jesus. And so it's Jesus plus physical health. If I could just be my peak. Then Jesus plus family, the perfect family, plus career, plus the Renault in the dream house, in the dream street. It's Jesus plus an endless stream of entertainment which we look to and think that that will actually tap into satisfying our souls. Now, as we saw last week, these things aren't in and of themselves bad things. But as we look to them to provide soul satisfaction, which, which we do, they don't satisfy, they only make us thirstier. If you are not satisfied in Jesus, could it be this? Just consider this for yourself, but could it be this? It's because you are sipping on Jesus and you are sculling on the world. Oh, Jesus is in your life. You get Jesus, you know Jesus. Sip, sip, sip. World, skull, skull, skull. If that is you, yeah. You, you won't be finding satisfaction in Jesus. Your, thoughts, your, your soul will thirst. And the answer there is to repent. Oh, Lord, I am so sorry. Forgive me. Oh, oh, please pry me off my addiction to sculling this. 
moved me more and more to drink deeply of Jesus, to, to hearing from him more in his word. How good is our youth ministry? Praise God for what he's doing in the next generation. To, to see um, um, habits formed of coming to Jesus. Speak to Jesus more in prayer. Think on Jesus more. Gather among his people more. Growth groups on, I'm a bit tired. Oh. Churches on, I've got some. No wonder we're thirsty. No wonder we think Jesus isn't working. But here's the thing. The problem isn't Jesus. The problem is us. Jesus has more supply of life than we have demand for it. At least from him. Or we have demand for it. But the problem isn't Jesus. The wellspring of life is there. So so repent. Uh, Get off those streams more and more. Second thing I'd say, final thing. You're not satisfied? You feel like there must be more? There is. There's more to come. The Old Testament spoke of that great day of the Lord when he would pour out his spirit, when the, when the blessing of his kingdom would come. It has come in Jesus. I am. Sin, Satan and death have been defeated. Praise God. That we, we do not fear the consequences of death. Of sin. Forgiveness is here. The new creation has come in the resurrection body of Jesus, never to die again. The new creation is here. The kingdom of God has come. The Spirit of God is here. And our problem can be we just don't realize how much blessing there is as we come to drink of all of that. But here's the thing that great day of the Lord gets stretched out so it has not yet come in all its fullness. And so there is a right holy dissatisfaction in our souls, longing for more. When sin is done away with forever, and I won't be tempted to keep going to these streams and it'll only be Jesus. When death is no more, when the new creation is more than just Jesus' body, it's all of us. When the creation that groans and floods right now, it is restored. When weapons will be beaten into farming tools... For now, though, people will kill each other with them. The creation will groan under the impact of sin. And we will... There is more to come. Which, of course, is what Ephesians chapter 1 says of the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit is a... Do you know it? Deposit. A down payment. A guarantee of the inheritance that is to come when Jesus comes in all his fullness. Now, don't hear that. This is often what we do. Go, all right... It's just the heaven ticket. I guess I'll just wait till then. I'll drink from Jesus. Don't you see what that does? As you have a solid expectation of all that it is to come, it builds hope right now. It means you you can sit, you can stand, you can be on the ground facing whatever you are right now with real hope, which does energise, which does quench this is not all just about get to heaven this is what Jesus invites us to come to and to keep coming to now and so it has been my prayer that through this time as I pray that we would be drinking but from this time as we sing that would be us drinking in faith as we 
speak with each other, encourage each other as we go off, that it wouldn't just be the Jesus box tick that we would keep coming to him and so keep drinking from him and so actually know more of what he has for us. Let me pray. Well, Father, we, uh, when, we, when we pause like we have and we slow down, we, we think on Jesus in his word, we confess it how great he is, but then how slow we are to appreciate him, to come to him. And so we beg of you your forgiveness. And we beg of you transformation, that you would please, particularly those of us this morning who are just in bondage to streams that are poisoning their soul. We plead with you for for release, for freedom. And we thank you for the forgiveness that is in the cross. But in all of us, Lord, grow our thirst for Jesus. And so by his spirit in us, do a work that we would come to him, would come to him more and more. And that we would enjoy all that you have for us in this moment. Uh, When suffering hits and hits hard that we would be filled by hope and that we would be comforted with a peace that comes from drinking on Jesus. We pray also, Lord, that so many more in our community might come to know Jesus as the satisfaction for their soul. Amen.